Good morning. My name is Christy Dewey. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3 from the message. The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the heartbroken, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Julie Steele, and I am one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and I'm really glad to be here sharing with you today on this absolutely gorgeous day. We had so much fog out where I live. I was just wondering, as I kept coming in, it was just thicker and thicker, and then all of a sudden, around Eastgate, it's just sort of all cleared, and I thought, thank you, Lord. That's a sign. This is great. Come out of the fog. I'm glad to be uh, sharing with you today from the book of Isaiah. Now, many of you may think, did they forget that we've been doing that the last few weeks? No, we have these verses that uh, we have been using to use for our theme. And as we move forward today, I wanted to zero in on verses 1 through 3 as opposed to 4, because that's really Jesus' actual mission, why he came. And also, I wanted to use the message just to mix it up a little bit for you. So our, our sermon today is on uh, institution... Yay. Versus mission. The mission was to get the slides up there. So institution versus mission. And I don't want that to sound adversarial or like it's combative at all. It's just as our church is really growing and changing that we really need to look at the institution or the organization of our church to see is it is it appropriate for how we want to move the mission forward at this particular time? And I also think it's a great thing to evaluate, okay, where are we at? Why are the things in place that we have now there? And are they still serving us or helping us for moving things into the future? So institution versus mission, or do you need both? Well, I want to hear from you what types of words or phrases come to mind when you see this kind of an image? Come on. Fortress, Smithsonian, museum. Lots of different things. Somebody said prison, first service. So (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's something going on there that we don't want to know about. Anyway, um, so you see this. When I think of it, I just think of like this big established Beautiful building that just looks solid, it looks stable, it looks like if I walk in there, it's going to be really clear to me where things are. And then I have another image. How many of you have seen the movie The Mission? Oh, if you have not seen this movie, you need to see this movie. It's, it's an oldie. It came out in 1986, and it actually, I know the Academy Awards are tonight, it actually won an Academy Award for cinematography. It was 
amazing what they did, and the soundtrack is haunting. This movie is really cool. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you about it because I want you to see it, but this particular, this is the movie poster from it, and what you see coming over the waterfall is a man on a cross. Now, when you look at this image, do you get the same sense of when you look at this image? No, it's pretty different. When I look at, here we go, this one, I sense chaos. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm very insecure. I'm scared, and I kind of don't want to go near there. I'd much rather go here. That's me. Now, there are other people, probably a Joseph Scheid, who would really much rather go there, right? And it's taking all of us to keep Owen alive. So just remember that. So this is what I think of when I think of mission as opposed to institution. Now, I want you to think about our church right now, Evergreen, and we all are going to have a different idea on this, and, and that's okay. But in your mind, what I want you to do is... Thinking of these images and where we're at, where would you put us on this scale? Just in your mind, I just want you to think about that. If it would be farther one side than another or in the middle or some, some weeks were this and some weeks were that, you know, I don't know. So that's what we're going to kind of think about today. Our church, Evergreen, and where we're at as far as institution and mission. Now, as we enter this new season of ministry that we've been talking about, we really feel like things are moving forward. We're starting to get new leadership. We're starting to build ministry teams. Peter went over that the last few weeks in his sermons. I am thinking about for myself and my position here at Evergreen as executive pastor, what is my role in that? What is my role in institution and mission? So I wanted to share with you my own personal mission statement as it relates to my position here at Evergreen. So the reason I exist basically here is to provide organizational and spiritual leadership as executive pastor for ECC that supports the lead pastor, staff, and congregation, that's all of you, through overseeing, coordinating, nurturing, and protecting the ministry values of this church. And I would say that the ministry values of this church are really our mission. So as I've been thinking about this for myself and how I can help our mission move forward, that's what I'm going to be working through with you this morning. Now, by nature, I love rules, policies, procedures. I love that brick building. I want to be where it's safe and solid and predictable. That's my default. However, that isn't always the best way to move a mission forward. You see, for me, I want a sense of order and control. I know that surprises you all very much. But, you know, if you could head off a problem before it even happens, that's the best in my mind. My kids would be the first to tell you that they have a rule-loving mom. Now, I have been able to grow from that as I've gotten older because the world isn't so black and white anymore. I think the more experience you have in life, things that used to be very simply right or wrong, you kind of struggle with. 
So I have grown a little bit from that. But the problem, you see, with being a rule-oriented mom or relying on rules and policies and procedures all the time is that it dehumanizes relationships. You don't have to contextualize or try to understand what may have been behind a certain behavior. Curfew's 11 o'clock. You didn't show up till 11.30. Simple. You're grounded. You came home from school and you talked back to your mom. You're grounded. See, I can just check off, well, this is what happens when you do this. And when you don't do this, this is what happens. But you see, I don't have to take the time or get into the messiness of trying to figure out, well, why were you home at 11.30? Oh, somebody needed you to take them home. We didn't have cell phones back then, or readily available. Or I didn't know that your first girlfriend broke up with you at school and you came home and took it out on mom. See, there are times when you have to get behind what's going on. You have to go to the relationship over whatever the rule is. Now, there was one time that I handled it correctly, one, probably more than one, but when our oldest son was two and a half, the uh, rule or what the policy was, was you had milk with dinner. So he had a glass of milk with dinner, and he asked me for a glass of juice. And I said, when your milk is gone. So he picked up the cup and walked over to the sink in the kitchen, dumped it out, <laughs> walked back, handed me the cup with this very innocent look on his face. And I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you you had to drink the milk. So he didn't get punished, but it did remind me that I had to be really, really clear on all of my instructions. You see, if I had punished him, that would have been enforcing a policy, but it wouldn't have taken into the consideration what the context was or what was going on in his mind. Well, I've been digging through our present policies and procedures, and boy, how much fun that is. And here is what I have found. I really feel like Evergreen is policy and procedure heavy right now. It feels like the institution has become a little out of balance with the mission. Now, this is really typical for a church of our age, right? I mean, the longer any uh, organization is established, you are going to have a lot of policies and procedures layered on. But the relational piece, then, of the organization seems to get squeezed out. And with each new challenge, we just write a new policy or procedure to handle it. Evergreen is almost 70 years old. That's a, that's a long time. This church has been in existence for a, a really long time. How many of you are at least 70? Any of you? A few of you. We have a lot of wisdom in this room here. This church began as a little Sunday school in somebody's home. It started out with this mission in mind. And I think back and I wonder, would those founders have ever been able to imagine all of the amazing, effective, powerful ministry that has happened because of that small group that started. I don't think they could have seen that far into the future what could have been accomplished by their efforts of their mission. But I also wonder, 
if those founders could ever imagine all the bureaucracy that this church has become mired in. They probably had three rules or something, right? I mean, you, like Peter said, when you plant a church, you just show up and you do it. You don't have all of these things backing you up. Well, a few years ago, I think a lot of you have heard about this, we entered what was called a revitalization process called Veritas. And the word Veritas simply means truth. This is something that's done by the covenant denomination. They go around to churches who have been established churches and are not doing so well anymore, and they have to get revitalized. It's just a typical life cycle kind of thing. The tagline for Veritas is, there is no vitality without reality. In other words, there's no life if you can't be truthful about what's going on. I know that Pete Carroll, you all know I love football, has his Tell the Truth Mondays, right? You just you have to look at the reality of a situation to grow or make changes. So we had to take a hard look as a congregation at what was happening in this church. And we as a congregation came to the uh, conclusion that we were what was called a critical moment church. Now the four stages that churches are in, Healthy missional, which is where you want to be. Stable, which still sounds really good, right? I mean, everybody wants stability. Critical moment and at risk. And when you're at risk, the doors are probably going to close soon. So here we were, critical moment, but just one step away from stable. So you'd think, well, why wouldn't you want to be stable? See, the problem with a stable church or organization or person is that everything's fine the way it is right now. I like things the way they are. They're working for me. But you're not thinking about the future and how things might need to change to take you into the future. Because, you know, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. You're, not, you're never neutral. And that's even in our walk with God. So we were working at that point, point. this is about seven or eight years ago, so hard to not just keep things going the way they were because they had, it had worked before, but we got stuck there. And this happens to all of us. We kind of get stuck in this one area of our life where things are going well, and we always kind of want to go back to that. We want it to be that way. I want to know how many of you prefer music from when you were under 30 years old? Any of you? I would say for me, it's even 20 years old, because once I got married and had kids, I just took myself out of the game socially, I think, for a long time, and Sesame Street was my big thing. So all the things that I heard in my music of Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Eagles, the Stones, give me some others. Chicago, Chicago. there you go, Al. I you know, Carly Simon, I mean, just all these, I got my 70s stations that I just love because I can sing every word to those songs. I know them. They're my songs. And they take me back to when those songs were current. They're not current anymore, although they're still great songs and the best music. (laughs) But you see, we all hang on to certain things. We all get stuck in a place and we want everything to stay the way it was there, because it it worked for us. 
Well, it seemed logical that that would happen here at a church or in any organization. Now, just so you know, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. As a matter of fact, I am part of the past. I've been here 39 years and counting. And I'm not saying that to boast that I have more credibility or I have anything, any corner on what should happen here. As a matter of fact, people who are newer, people who may be here for the first time today, have a much more objective perspective on what you're walking into. We all have gotten used to things the way they are. It's hard to move forward. You see, if all I bring to the table is my past and my history here, I'm just dead weight. I'm going to hold things back. I have a great quote from this book that I know some of you have read, Who Stole My Church? It says, What to do when the church you love tries to enter the 21st century. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Here's the quote. When the rate of change inside an organization is slower than the rate of change outside the organization, the end is in sight. You hear that? So the rate of change here is slower, or it has been slower. You know what? Like it or not, we live in a rapidly changing culture. You can hardly keep up with the latest uh, phone or computer. It's outdated in six months. And our culture is changing. People are changing. Our past success cannot carry us into the future. If my default response to a new idea that Peter comes into my office and gives me is, well, when I first came here, or, well, we've always done it that way, I'm going to be holding us back from where God wants us to go. Imagine if the Israelites had kept telling Joshua, well, when Moses is around, he did it this way, right? I don't think that that would have flown at that point because Joshua had new leadership and new ways of doing things, and that was God-ordained. One other quote I want to read you from this book Unfortunately, in the church, we have a more difficult time dealing truthfully with programs. We don't spend enough time asking, why are we doing this, and what is the intended outcome if we do that? So, we often keep programs going long after they've stopped being effective, just because we're comfortable with them and we're reluctant to try new things. You know, we've come to realize, I think pretty clearly, that the church is not this building and that the church is not contained in a building. We know that the people, us, are the church, right? However, we have a harder time understanding that the intangible structures of the institution also are not the church. You see, in many people's minds, inside and outside the church, the church remains a bundle of programs, committees, policies, teams, initiatives, budgets, and events. I'm in a book club that I joined a few years ago, uh, primarily to be in uh, company with people who were not believers. 
I wanted to get into the real world and hear the perspective that people had on Christians and the church. And I have heard a lot of interesting comments. It actually took me several years to divulge what I did for a living because I did not want to be judged by their preconceived ideas about what a Christian was, let alone a pastor. And I did get away with it. Finally, one day, I let the cat out of the bag and they all kind of, their mouths dropped, which I'm not sure if that's good or bad. But anyway, (laughs) most people speak of the church the same way they refer to the government. Not a real high praise, I would say. It's a hierarchy of leaders managing an organization that they engage in but refrain from. That's how a lot of people view the church. Well, let's go back to our scripture today. And again, we have been hearing this several weeks, but I want you to see it in a new and fresh way. Look at the words that are in green. That's what I want to focus on because this is the mission of Jesus, which in turn becomes our mission. These are action words. Do you see that? Jesus quoted these very words from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He came into the temple, which was his church institution of the day, and he proclaimed his mission. This is a great mission. Who would not want to further this mission? Now, his particular mission included going to the cross, which was not our mission. Uh, Only he could do that because he was God. Man in the flesh came uh, to earth. He was without sin. But because of what he accomplished on the cross, we as his followers can continue his mission. You see... The role of a delivered people, and that's us, is to be a channel from God to the hurting, the oppressed, the hopeless people of this world. And by the power of God's Spirit, we as individuals, wherever God has placed us, and as a church community, can move this mission forward. I hope that our church is known for these words in green, When people say Evergreen Covenant Church, is that what they think of? Or do they think of programs, budgets, committees, etc.? So how did Jesus himself feel about institutions and all of the policies and procedures that went with the institution of his day? Well, we have a lot of examples in the New Testament, but the one I want to focus on is the Sabbath. How did Jesus observe the Sabbath? God in the Old Testament instituted the Sabbath, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. It reads, remember to observe the Sabbath day as holy. Six days a week are for your daily duties and your regular work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest before the Lord your God. And then when you move down, it says, so he blessed the Sabbath day and set it aside for rest. So, how did Jesus observe the Sabbath in his day? In Mark chapter 3, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. 
Then Jesus asked them, meaning the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Wow. So you have to understand that Jesus observed the Sabbath by doing the Father's work and not adhering to all the man-made rules that came around it. By the time Jesus began his ministry, the Pharisees had hundreds of regulations regarding the Sabbath, as well as hundreds of corresponding loopholes to get around observing those rules. They were so tied to their cultural traditions that when God arrived in their midst in the person of Jesus Christ, teaching and working miracles, they denied his divinity because he didn't do what their cultural traditions dictated. How many times do we mix up what is biblical with what is traditional? That's what these leaders in the synagogue were doing in the religious institution of that day. And Jesus was not happy with it. Now, don't hear that I'm anti-institution. I'm not. Institutions do enormous good to countless people, but they also carry an inherent risk with them. Institutions or organizations can become bureaucracies and deaden the energy that led to the institution's founding in the first place. Now, I want you to know that I have actually been a part of a very long-standing, prestigious institution going on 35 years now. There we are, signing the paperwork that solidified our commitment to the institution of marriage. Don't we look happy? I haven't changed a bit, but the, the cake was delicious, I'll tell you. So, there we are, signing the papers looking just thrilled to be starting our life together, having no idea what was coming down the pike, right? How could you? You make that commitment, you decide you're going to move through life together, and then you navigate all the things that you really cannot possibly predict. I think marriage is a perfect example of the institution and how it's the foundation for the relationship to thrive and grow. Now, what is the mission or goal of marriage? Because if you have an institution of marriage, what's the mission of it? What is it supposed to be furthering? Well, here's Jesus' words in the book of Matthew. He said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the first place made them man and woman? It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will live, uh, live with his wife, The two will become one, so they are no longer two, but one. Let no man divide what God has put together. So you see, the mission of the institution of marriage is for the husband and wife to become one entity, joined together for a purpose. Not that they lose who they are, but that together they're better 
than who they were alone. That's the, that's the mission of marriage. So as we go through the years in our marriage, the goal or the mission does not change, but how we accomplish that goal has to change. In other words, the policies and procedures of the institution have to flex so that the mission can grow and move forward. You see, as children and jobs, illnesses, extended family issues enter, we have to figure out how are we going to remain one through all of this? How are we going to stay on mission? We even take vows that are going to encompass what life has to throw at us. See, we promise to love each other in times of joy, but also sorrow, plenty and in want, sickness and in health. The institution of marriage allows us to grow together and not apart. You see, it gives us a security. I remember it about six months into our marriage, and our first year was not pretty. Let's just put it that way. We had lots of arguments and disagreements. But in that, about halfway into that first year, I remember thinking this sense of sort of security of, he's not going to leave me. He's not going anywhere. We have a commitment to work through these things and come out on the other side. You see how the institution actually gave us freedom to be able to confront each other and be truthful with each other because we knew we were there for the long haul. You know, as marriage, uh, as babies come, school, job changes, kids leaving the home, we have to reorganize or change the structure. A great example of that is when either mom or dad has been home with the kids and they go off to work. What if all the same policies and procedures stayed in place while mom went off to work? What would happen? Chaos. Yes, chaos. Do you think mom would get a little resentful when she came home and the house was a mess and dinner wasn't started? Or, you know, she was still expected, okay, I won't talk in she, I was still expected to do everything I did before, um, and yet the structure had to change because then I became resentful, which threatened the mission of being one. So we had to sit down and say, all right, how are we going to reorganize as a family to make this work so that the mission can keep moving forward? It's really important. Something that we did um, when our kids were at home was once a year, we would take a long weekend and get away together to reconnect and to assess how was the mission going. How did we feel about where we were at as far as being one? And if things weren't working very well, okay, let's assess the structure and let's flex so that we can help this mission go forward. It was really helpful for us. The institution and the policies and procedures of the church should always, just like in marriage, facilitate the mission moving forward, not holding it back or threatening the mission. Structure is necessary. Structure is good. Structure is God-ordained. We see organization and structure from the very foundation of the church in the book of Acts. 
But, at, but these structures have always existed to serve God's people in the fulfillment of God's mission. You see, the mission should not be to perpetuate the institution. That's what the religious leaders of Jesus' time did. Jesus entered the scene and said, follow me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. He said, have life to the full. That is not what the Pharisees were offering in their religious institution. Jesus turned it upside down so that the mission was the dominant factor. Now, we need both. We need institution and we need mission. We need a healthy structure that's not weighted down with administrative red tape, but one that supports a missional, a healthy missional church. I wonder, can any of you recite the mission of Evergreen Covenant Church? I'm helping you out here. Evergreen hopes to be a church where people learn about Jesus and his great love for us, where they can come as they are, where they can experience grace and forgiveness in a tangible way, where they can serve others and be a light to the world. That is our mission statement. It's on our website. We went through it about a year and a half ago, I believe. Our mission needs to support the mission of Jesus, and I think it does that beautifully. When you think about those words you saw in green that I had up, they definitely align with this mission. So we do need both, but mission is always messier, less controlled, and pretty scary. Uh, One mission trip I went on a while ago with the youth group, uh, I remember just, I'm, again, I'm used to order and everything being tidy and neat. It was very chaotic by nature. It was the most amazing, wonderful trip of my life. And I remember thinking afterwards, this is what Jesus is calling us to. This feels right. This feels meaningful. And as scary as mission can be, it's also the most fulfilling thing to do. We can't let those feelings of being scared about where we're going turn our focus back to managing an institution just because it's more comfortable. And we don't want to do that here. We want to stay on mission and go where it might be scary and where things are unknown and we make mistakes, but we're able to stay on mission and know that it's the Holy Spirit who's going to keep guiding us. And it's better to go that direction than stay in the neat brick building where everything is predictable. Did you know that Jesus has a policies and procedure book? He does. This is it. He said, this is what you have to do. You love God and you love others and my mission will go forward if you are doing those things. See, we as individuals and as a church should be characterized by this, right? Not by tasks and other things. If we're loving God and we're loving others, we're right where we're supposed to be, as scary and chaotic as that may feel. I want you to look at these words again when I put them up. And I want you to be thinking about someone 
that you know right now. Maybe it's somebody that is in your family. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Somebody you go to school with. A neighbor. Somebody that needs you to bring the mission of Jesus to them. I'm really good at doing the opposite or the negative part of this. Preaching something that isn't necessarily good news. Or not pardoning, but instead holding a grudge. Not announcing God's grace, but instead destruction. Maybe not comforting, but telling somebody that what they did, maybe they deserved. Taking instead of giving. I'm really good at those things. I don't know about you, but this is a really good reminder for me that I need to think about who needs to hear the good news. And it isn't maybe just through my words, but it's an act. It's a way of reaching out. That's what Jesus is calling us to. This is our mission. This was his mission. And he expects us to carry this forward. So think about that person. And I want you to commit this morning that you are going to do whatever it takes this week to extend that mission to the person. God will give you ideas. God will tell you how to do it. You just need to be available and willing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this mission, but we really thank you that we don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. It's scary. It's messy. It's easier to work within the confines of rules and policies and procedures. God, challenge each of us today to move beyond that, though, and to focus on the mission. And God, I would pray for the mission of Evergreen Covenant Church that what started 70 years ago with a small group of mission-minded people would continue on for another 70 years, that we would be able to be a part of that. Thank you, God, for the work you have for us. Thank you for the joy we have in serving you and moving this mission forward. In your name we pray. Amen.